The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And I am absolutely delighted today to help us find food truth is Dr. Urvashi Rangan. She is the Director of Technical Policy for Consumers Union, where she has basically gone through all of those confusing eco-labels, trying to help them make sense to consumers. She has a column in Consumer Reports Shop Smart Magazine, and she is very well qualified to do her work. She received her Ph.D. in Environmental Health Sciences from Johns Hopkins University, University in 1995. She did postdoctoral work at the Environmental and Occupational Health Science Institute, and she was a National Institutes of Health Fellow from 1990 to 1997. Dr. Rangan, welcome. Thank you, Melinda. It's really a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Well, I heard you speak. In fact, I had the honor of introducing you at the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service meeting where you were the keynote and you spoke about very important topics. And since then, you have also received an award from the Organic Center. I believe that was just this past month. That's right. Yeah, yeah it's been an exciting month. It has been. And I know you're taking off soon to testify against BPA. So we are going to be talking about all of these issues. I want to talk about eco-labels because we as consumers in the marketplace, as you know, are faced with so many labels that I think at times we become weary or saturated by them. Would you agree? I would agree, especially because we live in a marketplace where there isn't really a level playing field for these labels. And so labels with absolutely no meaning and no standards and no verification are free to play as well. And I think in the end what that does is it really muddies up the landscape and it prevents credible labels from actually competing in a fair marketplace. So while there are a lot of labels, I would think if there were a lot of credible labels that could fairly compete with one another, then I think we'd be in a different position than we're in today. Well, do we want to talk about some of the labels that you think are most credible, that consumers can really rely on and look for them. And then let's talk about some of the labels that are shady, ones where we should say "Mm, there should be a red flag with those labels. Sure. Does that sound like Um, a good plan? Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. And there are a number of really credible labels out there. Organic certainly is one of one of the more credible labels out in the food marketplace. It really helps consumers be able to choose with a high level of assurance, and I think that's really important, the whole verification arm, the independence of this program and who inspects for farmers to meet those standards, that all becomes incredibly important in terms of how much assurance it does provide consumers. But for those who are looking to find foods produced without antibiotics, animal byproducts, synthetic pesticides that use natural fertilizers, Uh, Organic is really one of the more credible labels that can help consumers get there. 
then there are other labels that either add value to organic or have value in and of themselves. And certainly the fair trade label is a really interesting one in that it deals with worker welfare and also does a bit to train them on sustainable agriculture. But fair trade, in addition to um, organic, is certainly a value-added kind of claim. And it is without organic, too. But, of course, with organic, you get that much more. The bird-friendly label, I love talking about this label because you can see it on coffee occasionally, and it's only allowed to be used if the coffee is already certified to be organic. And so that's the foundation from which bird-friendly is built on, and it goes above and beyond to make sure that there's plenty of diversity in the tree canopy that really preserves the songbird ecology of that particular area, and it's actually sponsored by the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center. But again, just another really interesting, again, value-added label out there. Grass-fed is another really interesting production practice. It's sort of like organic and old practice that's come into the new again, where we're trying to feed animals really what they were meant to eat. Um, cows were meant to eat grass. They they actually weren't designed to eat corn. And um, we've been learning through scientific studies that corn may not actually be very healthy for the animal either. It may actually proliferate or create an environment in the gut that actually leads to the formation of more E. coli 0157H7, which mm-hmm. is the pathogenic form of E. coli. So grass feeding seems to have benefits for the animal, but it turns out in a lot of meats and products that they're derived from, benefits for the consumer and nutritional benefits with better omega-3 to omega-6 ratios, better conjugated linoleic acids, which are sort of the good fatty acids, um, higher levels maybe of vitamin E. So those are really even nutritional benefits of an environmental practice. And that sort of, I think, highlights a lot of education work we try to do, which is that what we do in the environment can often have an impact on our own health, if not directly, then indirectly. But grass-fed really represents that. So that's a number of different labels that, that have do meaning. that value. Yeah, and I'll just chuck in one more, which is the Certified Humane label, yes. uh, which is quite a comprehensive set of standards that are designed per species, actually, but that add a level of assurance that animal welfare standards were met. And while antibiotics, for example, aren't prohibited, they are restricted to therapeutic use in that particular case. Again, though, if you see certified humane in conjunction with organic, um, you're definitely getting some value added there. But if a person wanted to avoid genetically modified ingredients in their diets, And there are two parts to this question. Clearly, we do not have a no GMO label on the marketplace, or we don't have a a USDA or FDA requirement that foods containing genetically modified ingredients be labeled. Is that right? There's no requirement for that. That's correct. There is no requirement here in the United States that if products contain genetically modified organisms that they must be labeled as such. That's a little bit different from Europe where once you exceed a certain threshold, you are required to label those products as such. Now, if a person, I I always ask this to my farmers that are at the farmer's market, what do you feed your animals? Because indirectly, I want to avoid those genetically modified grains. So I always ask, you know, do you feed 
typical grain that comes from the feed store. And if they are, that means that they're probably getting GMO corn and soy. If they're getting organic feed, that means they're not going to get those genetically modified ingredients. Is that correct? That is currently the case, although it's a bit under contention right now. Consumers up until this point who have been looking for foods that are produced without genetically modified organisms or ingredients have literally only organic as their option um, to ensure that they're getting that and that paperwork and everything has been checked to make sure that those standards are being met. However, due to some recent events where the USDA has um, approved the planning of genetically engineered alfalfa, there are a lot of concerns about the potential for that pollen to contaminate crops that were never engineered in the first place, but they can receive the pollen from a genetically engineered crop and become contaminated in the process. And we know that pollen can travel for miles and miles and miles if not even tens of miles and miles and miles, and in some cases some people have reported 100 miles, um, but, but it can travel very, very far, and that will have far-reaching consequences, including the value that organic currently brings to the market when it comes to assuring consumers that they are produced without genetically modified organisms. It is being contested at this time, and there is a lawsuit now being filed against that decision with the USDA, so it remains to be seen exactly where we'll land. But it is certainly the case that at this juncture, the only way for consumers really to be able to purchase food where they can be assured that they were not grown with genetically modified organisms is to buy organic. And so in order to maintain that ability, there's going to be some more follow-work that needs to be done with this recent USDA decision. Yes, it's very distressing to me uh, that farmers really are, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They can't sue for contamination. Is that correct? I believe that is the case, yes. So they become, their farms may become contaminated, and then they're basically out of luck. Yeah, it's a very unfortunate position. I think, frankly, the decision was not necessarily made in full sensitivity to the organic movement. But the USDA has a responsibility here. They oversee conventional agriculture. They also oversee the organic program, and they're accountable to consumers who are also buying organic. And in that sense, it is really their responsibility to make sure that one foot doesn't step on the other. And so the hope here is that we'll be able to get to a place where organic farmers do not have to fear random contamination of genetically modified organisms. But this is going to be a big fight to fight. And um, anyone who is interested in this issue, um, it would behoove them to sort of get more involved at this point. And I'm going to recommend the Center for Food Safety as a good source for this Would you agree, or do you have some other sites, too? Absolutely. Center for Food Safety is really taking on the the lion's share of of the the lawsuit at this point, and they have a lot of information on their site about these crops, the problems with the laws, and why it really isn't feasible at this time to allow something like this without real consequences. All right. Excellent update. Thank you very much. Sure. Now, I love the Greener Choices website. 
And if our listeners, if you want to go to www.greenerchoices.org, you can get to a whole list of eco-labels that have an excellent review. I want to talk about some of the labels that irritate me to no end. The label that to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but the one that bothers me the most because I I think it dilutes organic and I think it confuses consumers is the label natural. What does natural mean? Yeah, I mean, it is really one of the most greenwashing terms out on the market Natural has such limited meaning for so many products. It probably has the most meaning for meat products. It means that, according to the USDA, they're to be produced without adding any artificial coloring or ingredient to the cut of meat itself. So it really has nothing to do with how the animal was raised or what it ate or how it lived. All aspects consumers think about when they think of the natural label and what it ought to mean. Right. So there's huge shortcomings when you see the natural label on meat products. On other foods, which would fall under the Food and Drug Administration's oversight, there's probably even less um, in terms of standards related to those. I think there's sort of a general understanding there shouldn't be anything artificial But things like high fructose corn syrup and partially hydrogenated oils, uh, we found those things in products labeled as as natural. And there's certainly a lot of wiggle room in terms of what is considered okay to go ahead and put in those products and what isn't. We don't think ingredients like high fructose corn syrup or partially hydrogenated oils should even be allowed in products that are labeled as natural. Um, And survey data we've done in the past indicates that the overwhelming majority of consumers agree with that. Other than that, there is very little meaning for what natural has to mean, be it on a personal care product or a cleaner or, or anything else. And what's so unfortunate is that a lot of retailers lump those sections together in the marketplace so that consumers will see natural products lumped right in with organic products and uh, it becomes very confusing and cloudy to sort of figure out what are the differences. The other major difference between natural and organic is that natural has no verification, has no inspection. It's really a voluntary claim that can be made by the manufacturer or the producer, the whoever's packaging up the product. In the case of meat, you have to send an affidavit over to USDA to let them know what you mean by it, but there are that's a no, fairly non-transparent process, and and you can go ahead and use that claim. So there are stark, stark differences in in the value that that natural claim brings to a product versus um, something like organic, which mm-hmm. has a much truer representation of what natural ought to mean. Absolutely. Now, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Dr. Urvashi Rangan. She is the Director of Technical Policy for Consumers Union, and she is the brains behind that wonderful eco-label rating system. I have to mention something to our listeners. It's something that you said in a conversation that we had. You said that Consumers Union, the reason why you love working for Consumers Union is because you have the ability to be a scientist first, and you are not beholden to any interest group. And you recognize that this is a quick disappearing feature with your work, and it enables you really to tell it like it is. And I think many times 
consumers, when we pick up reading material, we really don't realize how much the editorial content is influenced by the advertising content. So I I wonder if you'd like to talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, thanks, Melinda. I mean, it's really, in a way, a, a privilege to be a scientist and work at such an independent organization where, as a scientist, the science comes first. And that is all that's asked of me is to analyze it the way the science presents itself and then to figure out, well, what's best for consumers then for the marketplace, what advice should we be creating for government policy. And it stems from this sort of uncompromising process where we are not beholden to anybody who's paying for us to say anything any which way. And it's funny because in doing this work, you come across a lot of people who are in the industry who are very earnest and and want to do the right thing. And you come across people who are paid by other sources to disparage a certain production practice or, or even sustainable agriculture in general. And it really is, I think, an honor to be able to act so independently in that kind of scientific vein. I think it is not really possible to do in many places. I don't think Consumer Reports would be able to even start up today. It, we started in 1936, and we've had the same business model really ever since with no advertising, no commercial dollars. And that would really, I think, be a tough venture to crack in this modern day. But it really is, I think, a privilege to be able to do that. And I feel very fortunate as a scientist to be able to have that kind of freedom to do the work in a very unfettered way. Well, and I think as consumers, we are very lucky to know that there is an organization that is out there looking out for us, telling us the truth without the commercial interest. So, again, I I cannot recommend enough the greenerchoices.org website. I think it's one of the most honest and comprehensive sources for, gosh, navigating is is a good word, I think, navigating this sea of confusing labels. Now, I have to ask you about another label because uh, this is one that is confusing, and it's certified naturally grown. Do you know what that means? Yeah, certified naturally grown was, it was born out of the implementation of the National Organic Program, and It came about because there were a number of farmers who had been producing food, at least by their claims, organically. I don't know how many were certified prior to the National Organic Program. But they were put off by the amount of paperwork that was required by the National Organic Program, the the tracking, the traceability, and... You know, I'm sure even some had issues with the government sort of takeover of organics, as some might call it, and didn't really want to be recognized through that system. As a result, they sort of created a little bit of a copycat system in that they wanted to be able to still meet the standards that the National Organic Programs laid out 
But they changed the entire verification arm to be one that is not independent where farmers certify farmers or people within the organic industry can do the certification. I think it's sort of, you know, it's certainly from our perspective provides less assurance to people in terms of the credibility of that label. It's a little bit of a shortcutting label in that they're, they're not in the business of standards development like a lot of sort of credible full labels are out there, but rather piggyback off of a very credible label program and then undermine the independent verification that that program offers in order to provide a cheaper way for people to be recognized for their production practices. I guess I would just say to people who are interested in being certified organic but feel that the cost of certification may be too much, that there are programs through the USDA that can help offset the cost of certification and while more and more people are using those, they still need more people to use those programs because there there is a budget in there for that, and and it's currently being underutilized. So for people who do want to seek out the organic certification and really want to provide consumers with the highest level of assurance, there may be some other mechanisms for them to do that besides sort of gutting out the verification arm of the organic program to do it. I really appreciate your attention to this issue of certification and the value of an independent third-party certifier rather than, oh, I don't know, say your cousin or neighbor who just happens to be a farmer also kind of overseeing your practice. I think that for consumer protection, that third-party certifier gives me a sense of confidence in the marketplace. I mean, absolutely, and I think as... You know, we are selling so much organic food in supermarkets, in stores, where, you know, as opposed to farmers markets, which, you know, are certainly very important, but I think just to recognize that we have a lot of streams where we sell different products in different places, um, and you don't have a farmer to talk to, and you don't, you can't verify something for yourself at the farmers market, you're in the supermarket, and so labels really need to be as credible as they can, um, and that's both in terms of the standards that they bring to the product as well as the certification arm of it and making sure that they are verified. That is ultimately the accountability part of it, and uh, without a strong verification program, it's often not possible to have a very credible label. I have to ask about the use of genetically modified grain or feed with the certified naturally grown. Again, without the certifier being there, there really isn't a good watchdog with this, but is that allowed? Do you know our, our I'm sorry, Melinda, I don't know I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. That's fine. We can go to that website and do a little more investigation, but I think the take home message here is that we need a third party certifier in no uncertain terms. Absolutely. Those are the that is what we'll be providing consumers with the highest level of assurance. And I think, you know, that is not to it's not to say that these farmers, you know, aren't entitled to, you know, have another production practice that they want to develop label standards for and, and could go out and verify, and it could be a decent label. But I think 
what's tricky here is to try to look like a carbon copy of organic, but not call it, you know, you're not called mm-hmm. organic because you can't. And then you have this sort of um, compromised verification system that isn't really, that wouldn't even be allowed in organic production. And I just think that adds a whole layer of confusion in the organic marketplace and, and for consumers. I agree. Now, I happen to know that you are a mother of two children, and so I know that you look at environmental toxins very closely. What, which ones keep you up at night? <laughs> I'll tell you, I, I think it's very different. I, I think about the landscape of issues I cover just for consumer reports. I often say I deal with chemical and, can- and contaminant hazards in products. And so whether we're looking at mercury levels in compact fluorescent bulbs or pathogens or microorganisms in humidifier reservoirs, ingredients in sunscreens, it's so different. There's just such an array of different things out there. When I'm in the kitchen, I'm really concerned about good hygiene. I... I keep my sponges clean. I keep clean towels constantly in the mix. And so, you know, I'm very concerned about preparing food and preparing it safely and and making sure that I am as safe as I can be. I think in terms of cleaning products, that's something that can contaminate your indoor air. And in the wintertime when you're not doing a lot of ventilating while you're cleaning, at least where it's very cold, I think about those issues, too, and how much I'm going to use in any one given day because I don't want to contaminate my air. So it really depends, Melinda. I feel like there are so many things. But I do kind of take a step back and say, well, what are we exposed to every day? And so having a water filter, that just makes good sense, especially where your water's bad. I mean, it makes sense to test your water, and it's not everybody who needs a water filter, But remember, if you live in an older home, I live in a home that's 110 years old, you likely have lead pipes. And so for me, a water filter is is exactly what we should be using in our house. And a quick trip through the most recent President's Cancer Report kind of highlights a number of recommendations that they make to consumers. I believe the first one is get a water filter or consider a water filter. And again, I think it's really about what you're exposed to on a daily basis, and making sure that those are exposures are as safe as possible. That is great advice. The President's Cancer Panel Report is excellent. Our listeners can Google that. It will come right up. I'm so glad you mentioned that. 30 seconds, Dr. Rangan. What do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, I think it's a really exciting time where more and more consumers are becoming aware of how their foods produce, the benefits of different production practices, and and they're able to really vote with their dollars and make better choices. I think what we have to do as a community is demand a level playing field and get rid of some of this green noise in the market that really doesn't allow for a fair marketplace for anybody. And I think that a lot of those efforts will reside with the Federal Trade Commission. I think where people find they're seeing deceptively labeled products, products with misleading claims, start to file your complaints with the Federal Trade Commission. Let's get these things logged and let's make our government accountable 
to providing a fair and non-deceptive marketplace. Thank you so much for being my guest today. We've been speaking with Dr. Urvashi Rangan. She is an environmental health scientist and eco-label watchdog with Consumers Union. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you so much, Dr. Rangan. Thank you, Melinda.